Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. As, as early as, as nine months old can already start to tell in their environments who's acting fairly and who's acting unfairly. And this was just stunning to me, and I, I could say more about that research, but when does it kind of get past the point of no return? I don't know if I want to think in those terms. I think that there's reason for hope for people well into adulthood that they can change their character for the better, and of course for the worse too. It goes either direction. Hi, and welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Pro from Faith Radio. And if developing character in our kids and in our culture is important to you, Gabe, today we want to share a very important conversation you had recently. I hope an encouraging conversation, a fascinating conversation with a professor of philosophy at Wake Forest University, Dr. Christian Miller. He got his PhD in philosophy from Notre Dame. But what I love about the conversation we're having today is it's about character and virtue formation. It's one of those issues that's a long issue. This isn't what I would call a current issue. We talk a lot about those, the things that come up this year that we need to address and think about. But in his work and his research, it goes over decades. It looks at the ways in which our character is formed or not formed and what goes into that and how does religion and faith play into character formation. As we look at our world today, I think we all would look around and go, hey, I feel like character's taken a dip. I think we're seeing it displayed in public. We're seeing it voiced in so many different mediums. And you're seeing sort of the guards start to get let down and people really coming out for what they think, what they believe, however they want to say it, and it's all justified in the name of their truth or in the name of them having a platform to just tell you what they think. It wasn't always that way. Character formation is the conversation that you get into when you start to recognize when moral flaws are taking place in your society or when evil is being called good and good is being called evil. You've flipped into a new zone where those conversations are important. And so today we're going to have that conversation to try to better understand character formation. What is virtue? Where do these ideas come from? How does religion impact that? Where do we sit today? If we were to look at history, are we in like the worst possible character moment or have there been worse? Can we recover? Can it be redeemed? Does it start with us, our churches, our institutions? All of those conversations are you're going to get to benefit from, I think, here with Dr. Christian Miller. And he published a book called The Character Gap, How Good Are We? That was back in 2017, and we followed his work closely and felt like it was a good time for us to have this conversation. So let's listen in now. Dr. Christian Miller, it's such a great privilege to have you on your work. Proceed yourself. You've done such incredible work for so many of us have benefited from around this important conversation and topic of character formation. In fact, your book, The Character Gap, has created a great deal of conversation because of how you've emphasized this ideal of what we hope to be and what we envision ourselves to be as people of good character and virtuous citizens and yet the gap between what we want it to be and where it actually is. Um, so let's just jump right in and share with us a little bit about what interested you personally in going deep into this type of research. So 
I got interested in this because philosophers were, for the first time, reading outside of their area as far as psychology was concerned and wondering what psychology could tell us about whether character even exists or not. Is this thing real? Is it important? Does it matter? Does it exist in people's psychology? And so I was really intrigued by this. I'm used to doing armchair philosophy where I just sit down and think really hard about questions and try to arrive at an answer. And now philosophers were getting their, their kind of hands dirty in the empirical world of psychology. And what, what was it going to tell us? Where was it going to take us? So about 15 years ago, I went down this path of reading hundreds and hundreds of studies in psychology on harming and helping and lying and cheating and stealing with the idea in mind of crafting a picture of how we're actually doing, not just what we should be like, but what we, are we actually doing in this area of our lives, and then see how, as you said, how big a gap there is between the reality and the ideal. Yeah, well, and your work started to show everybody that this gap indeed did exist, and I know you reference hundreds of studies that you poured through to start to really nail down that that this isn't just a concept like this is factual that human beings tend to live at a level a bit below what they hope to be but maybe not as bad as as they could be and i think as you got into that research and it started to unveil itself what have you found to be the helpful fruit of those conversations as you've educated and illuminated that fact to audiences to other leaders of institutions how do you start to see that playing out now and maybe people doubling down on character formation? There's a lot to that. So first, the broad framework I'm working with is a framework where virtue is the goal. So the standard that I think we should be aiming for is to be a virtuous person. Virtues are character traits that are really good tra character traits to possess. There are things like honesty and compassion and courage. And then there's on the flip side, the reality, which, as you said, is falling short of virtue. More, more than a little bit, though. I mean, a significant bit falling short of that, that standard of virtue, but not as bad as it could be. So we're not vicious people for the most part. I want to make clear to, the, to listeners, my picture is not one whereby most of us are cowardly, cruel, dishonest people. That's a, that's a really bad uh, implication, if that were the case. Rather, I say we're in this murky middle, what I call of having a mixed character with some good sides to it and some bad sides to it, but not good enough to, to uh, live up to the standards of virtue, but also not bad enough to live up to the standards of vice. So given that, and that's a picture, as you said, that's informed by reading all these studies, it's also a picture I think that's quite consistent with the Christian framework. It's quite consistent with how we see the world uh, politically, historically. So I think it, it gels very well with other background frameworks. Some of the implications, well, let me, let me highlight two, and there are others as well. One is that I think it helps to reinforce a correction to our own self-image, because most of us tend to think of ourselves as good people. And I'm trying to get people to maybe reassess that and say, well, we're often not as good as we think we are. So uh, when you give surveys to people and ask them to rate, say, one to five, how virtuous are you? Or how good are you? Or on a particular virtue, how honest are you? Or compassionate? People tend to say about a four out of five, with five being the best. Um, so a kind of a kind of quite positive picture of themselves. And this is cross-culturally validated. It's not just Americans who have an inflated picture of themselves. And I'm going to say, well, hold on a second. 
the reality, the psychological reality, the empirical data doesn't quite back that up. We should scale down our understanding of how good we are. And then that feeds into the, the second implication, which is really trying to convince people or at least remind people of the importance of character education and character improvement. That if there is a significant gap, it's not small, and we're not, for the most part, pretty virtuous people. If there's a significant character gap, it's really important to think about how are we going to bridge that gap. I was listening to a historian talk about the game of golf, and he was relaying a, a part of the history I'd never heard before, which was when golf began as a game, and he was going back to like the 1300s, 1400s in Scotland, it was used as a tool for character formation. It was trying to actually teach people about honesty, about integrity, about counting every stroke. And those of you who play golf, you get that. Even if you've just done a little mini golf, you understand the power of like integrity that it starts to train in your kids. Like we count every stroke and we don't move our lie and we play, you know, and, and even the formation of religion and religious conversations around the clubhouse. Um, that they would go to the meeting house, as they called it at the time, after a game of golf, shut the doors and have religious services. So they were using like this sport to train character. And I know even today, sport is used in, in many ways to try to train character in children. And those are very practical examples of it. Um, is there a certain age by which you've discovered that um, if a child or a young adult hasn't developed some of these character qualities that it's almost too late? Like it's so critical to teach these by age five, age 10? I have not discovered that. I I should say I'm the philosopher. I'm not the, the you know, developmental psychologist. So I'm not the expert here on, on how people tend to grow and evolve over time. Uh, let me say two things though. One is that values and ethics are present in the mind at a surprisingly early age. So some of the research we've done at Wake Forest has been supporting people looking at when do infants first tell right from wrong and similar notions like that. I did not do these studies directly, but people we've supported have found it's as early as nine months. So infants as early as, as nine months old can already start to tell in their environment who's acting fairly and who's acting unfairly. And this was just stunning to me, and I, I could say more about that research. But um, so it's it's happening very early. Now, when does it kind of get past the point of no return? I don't know if I want to think in those terms. I think that there's reason for hope for people well into adulthood that they can change their character for the better, and of course for the worse too. It goes either direction. So, uh, and this change can happen in one of two ways. One is a kind of more immediate, sudden character conversions. Now, those are pretty rare, uh, but we know of famous examples like, like Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, that those things can happen. But instead, the more common kind of change over time is the slow, gradual process, which is kind of analogous to the development of any kind of skill. You don't become a chess master overnight. You don't become a, a master chef overnight. Um, you have to hone your abilities and practice and learn from your mistakes and so on and so forth gradually over time to get better. And I don't see any reason why that can't happen even in your 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah, and I think that's encouraging. I mean, redemption is all about that. I remember Chuck Colson, who was a mentor of mine, going through his kind of famous born-again experience where he completely radically transformed his life and, of course, became a Christian and submitted his life to Christ. And that was a big part of it. And many people go through a conversion, a religious experience that's 
part of them just resetting their life on something different, some different foundations. Going back, though, to that child, the nine-month-old, what, what is the role, do you believe, of our conscience that's inborn that every human being has signaling to us these character flaws when they happen or signaling to us when we do the wrong thing? And, and then talk about the Ten Commandments and sort of these original ten laws that have been talked about throughout history amongst all people as being really important um, boundaries to try to establish character. What role have you seen maybe early religious learning around these types of ideas really shape and form people's ability to start to live into a character life? You can understand in young children their early sense of morality. You can understand that in terms of a conscience. I think that, that makes sense. So to elaborate a little bit more on that study, the infants were placed in situations in which they saw one person behaving fairly and another person behaving unfairly. And then they got, had an opportunity to choose who they wanted to play with. And overwhelmingly, these infants would gravitate towards the person who they saw behaving fairly. I mean, it just, it's just crazy how, how that can happen so early on. Uh, and there's no reason to think it, it goes away. The conscience can continue to develop over the, the lifespan. Now, you know, there may be some exceptions. When we talk about someone like psychopaths or something, there may be some question about whether it can be damaged or is even present in their lives. Um, but it is, I think, a important concept that can be defended on religious grounds and also on secular grounds. We have to also intermix that story about the conscience with original sin, though. All of us are also inflicted with a certain kind of corruption, what Christians call original sin, and that corruption extends to all of who we are. It's not just compartmentalized. So that has to be added to the story, too. The Ten Commandments, well, those are, in a sense, not... They don't fit well with character in one way, and then they do fit well with character in another way. They don't fit well because they're rules. So they're ten rules that seem like they are ones we have to follow without exception. And they're put in place by God, so they represent part of God's objective morality for human beings. And that, that all makes sense. Typically, a character framework is often contrasted with a rule-based framework. A rule-based framework is often associated with, you know, with people like Immanuel Kant or some other philosophers throughout the history of uh, Western ethics, as opposed to a character-based framework, which is more about virtues and honesty and, and compassion and so forth as character traits. However, I don't think they have to be contradictory. I think we can bring them together in, in a complementary way. Um, we can think of these rules as helpful reminders of how we're supposed to behave. And by behaving in these ways, we can become more habituated, more used to living this certain kind of life. And what is virtue cultivation ultimately about? It's about habituation taking something that's not maybe easy or natural and practicing and practicing and practicing and developing that character to get it stronger and more robust, like a skill, like any skill, using certain rules and as guidelines to help us practice. Yeah. So the more we can do this, the better our character can become. Yeah, it seems it is helpful when these structures help incentivize or motivate us, you know, sometimes left to our own devices, we can tend off the path. And I, and I know that's your point is like character keeps you on the path, even when nobody's looking. Most of the times our temptation to steer off the path is when we're alone or in isolation or not in a community that's helping us stay accountable. I do think 
today we look around our culture, we understand that, and I'm sure, wow, we see character depleting. I, I read historical biographies and you, you read about, you know, other societies at different points. I mean, it could be the 1500s, the 1700s, the 1800s, and you you hear them lamenting how horrible their society is, how virtue's just gone out the window, how we need to recover character and virtue. I and mean, somehow we're still here today and there's still virtuous people and it, it, it continues on, but there, there tends to be a sense of looking at your current culture and going, man, we've just lost it. I wonder in your historical analysis, looking at our current 2022 context, I mean, in American culture, would you look at it and plot it somewhere different on the line going, no, this is kind of just like it probably was in the 1800s or 1700s in these societies that were debaucherous or celebrated the wrong things or gambling and drunkenness were happening in the streets and prostitution. And it was, it was a vice and everybody understood it. Like, do these things just happen in every culture or do you see a progression towards we're getting more and more decadent and, and this is becoming worse and worse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I should say I'm not a historian, so I'll, I'll I'll say some things with that caveat in mind. If I want to give you a really strict, careful answer, I would have to say we don't know because uh, we don't have the relevant empirical data to back it up. So really, the way to do this carefully would be assess people's character in the 1980s using kind of really well-crafted means of assessment. And then use that assessment again, all over again in the 1990s, 2000s, etc., and compare change over time. And we just don't have that kind of study uh, in place, unfortunately, so it's going to have to be a little bit more speculative. There are some suggestive studies which are finding things like empathy decreasing. So one impact of technology and social media is that it seems to erode our capacities for empathy. In certain pockets, we're seeing some evidence of change like that. Thinking more generally about our culture, I don't see a less of an emphasis on character. I see maybe a um, shift in what part of character is emphasized. In other times and places, for example, chastity might have been a big emphasis. Well, you don't see much emphasis on that in our culture today. Other character traits maybe are getting more emphasis, like um, social justice. We're seeing a lot of emphasis on justice these days as a virtue, um, as, as a character trait. Um, other character traits I see is kind of, you know, just kind of plodding along, always important. We're always going to emphasize them like honesty. Um, it's hard to think that a society will be able to flourish without having a certain baseline level of honesty. It's always going to be an important virtue. And I think today, uh, like before, we're paying a lot of attention to it. We're talking about it. And to the extent to which we fall short of honesty, our suffer is go- our society is really going to suffer. Yeah, no, those are great points. And, you know, I think back to, like, the founding of America is famous. Like, I think it was the inaugural speech by George Washington that talked about how this nation in particular with its constitution or the way that was going to be developed and, and came to be essentially this nation doesn't work without a virtuous people and that virtue is going to not be able to be in play if religion doesn't undergird it and was really tying this core idea of religion to virtue. And now we're in a culture where we're seeing in the youngest generations, the highest numbers we've ever seen of people that don't want to identify with any religion and see religion as the enemy, see it as extreme, see it as a problem in society and so we do sit at this crossroads where how do we get to virtue and character if we've dismissed religion? As you look at the moment we're in, does that concern you? Do you see 
faith making a comeback as people recover and start to discover like this isn't working out too well the more we abandon religion and do you do you see that as an opportunity so lots of just really rich questions here um you're probably better positioned to answer the last part about do you see faith making a comeback um than i am i will uh say something about the relationship between faith and character though on my view they are not necessary so you can be a virtuous person and be an atheist as well. Um, there are examples of people I know in my own life or historically who were not religious and yet from all, by all accounts were, were quite high in their virtue. I, I, I really do respect th those people and admire them. You know, they, in some ways, I might admire them more than some of the religious people I know who maybe don't live up to the same level of character. Uh, having said that, what I'm interested in are kind of broader trends or broader connections. Is there, in general, on average, a connection between religiosity and virtue? Well, the data here, I think, is suggestive, but not conclusive. It's suggestive in the sense that on a variety of measures of religiosity, as religiosity goes up, lots of good things tend to go up as well. Things like increased donations to charity, greater volunteering. As religiosity goes up, reduced criminal behavior, better educational performance, longer lifespan, better health. You go down the list, over and over again, you see these correlations. That's significant and really uh, worth paying attention to. Now, I say it's not conclusive, though, because of two things with respect to character. First of all, it's correlational. We don't know causation. So we, everyone knows the expression, correlation is not causation. So we don't know for sure which is causing which. I think it's probably both. They're both go, they're going in, in, in each direction. But secondly, we don't know yet about motivation either. So, so much of character is about motivation as well as outward behavior. And so why do religious people tend to do these things more than non-religious people? What's behind their actions? Why are they volunteering more? Is it for self-interested reasons? like? rewards in the afterlife? Or is it uh, sometimes for altruistic reasons, like, I just, you know, these people need help. I care about them. I want to better their lives. So final point then, if there is this relationship, and let's suppose it is causal, then I worry that as society goes, decreases in religiosity, as society becomes more secular, I do worry that we will be losing out on some of these good things in our life. Finally, who do you believe has the best opportunity to make a leveraged impact in this conversation about character? Is it the family unit? Is it the school system and schooling? Is it bigger than that? It's the church. Uh, I know it's all of them, but if we have, if we have to, anybody listening today goes, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to learn more about this and I can take, I have some agency now. I'm going to think more about this, but I, here's where I could apply it. Where, where do you start? Is it this child rearing stage that becomes so important? Or is it just the individual? And, and I imagine it starts with each of us, right? It starts, I think, with the individual learning more about character, becoming better and more knowledgeable, becoming better acquainted with the research, and also learning more about techniques to improve one's character, and then being willing to, that's all educational, now being willing motivationally to actually implement those techniques in his or her own life. I think it also, in this context, becomes a question of relationship with God. So the individual's relationship with God, that I think is a safe answer. Of the other answer, the options you presented there, I would go with parents next, because parents, I think, have the most 
impactful influence on the character of the child, more so than education or society, at least for a certain stretch of time. Verbal impact, like, you know, here, here's what character is, or here are the character traits. So much of it is role modeling impact, displaying good character in their own lives, and having that become contagious with their children. And children admire that, even if they don't recognize it consciously, to become more like that. That's a real form of impact. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lines and a great conversation there with philosopher Christian Miller from Wake Forest, author of The Character Gap. Gabe, I got to tell you, I loved how he thought very deeply and widely on this topic. Plus, on top of his thoughtfulness on the topic, he was very careful regarding issues outside his expertise. And, And this is what you'll find with thoughtful people is they don't just too quickly jump to give you their opinion. They're often saying, I'm not the expert on history, so let me just speculate, right? They're very careful with their words. I think that's one of those character qualities, right? That we don't just assume we know too much. There's not a pride or a hubris that comes with that. And I think that was fully on display with this conversation. Now, Gabe, I hope you don't mind a quick transition here. We're almost out of time. But yeah, we're hoping for more conversations and talks just like this coming this Thursday and Friday with this year's Culture Summit. Gabe, even though the in-person event is sold out, because this is also a virtual event, there's still lots of opportunities to be a part. And so I just want to invite you into that to block this for a couple days. And don't don't only block it, but invite couple of people around you that are your closest friends or people that you're in small group with or the people that you disciple or the leaders that are around you that are part of your organization. And even if for the two full days, you can't give all of that time in that moment, I completely understand. But when you sign up and get your virtual pass, you're going to get access for 30 days to go back and watch it on demand. So you'll be able to flip into these different talks that are of interest to you and go watch that talk. Have a conversation, maybe with your teenagers, about some of the talks we're having. But first, go to qideas.org slash 2022, and you can see all those talks, all the topics, all the breakouts. I think you'll be encouraged once again as we take a look into the future and try to help you as a leader learn how to navigate that, to be faithful, but also innovative in how we're thinking about the world that God's redeeming and renewing all around us, and how do we have a vision to see the signs of life as they're breaking through. So I hope you'll join us, Ideas. Dot org slash 2022. Have a wonderful week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.